0: Well, good morning, and thank you for the welcome. Um, When I graduated from seminary, I was involved in a church plant in uh, western Pennsylvania. So, My heart always goes out to people who are involved in a church plant. Uh, I know what a challenge that can be. Uh, We started out, we were meeting in a fire hall, uh, which was good unless there was a fire and then the fire went off and the engines. You know, I, we didn't actually see the firemen come down poles and things like that, but it could be uh, quite disruptive. But I just, I've I done a lot of preaching, guest preaching, since my retirement in 2018 and uh, several church plants. I, I know what a challenge it is to not have a home. But where we're meeting right now, living branch in Noblesville, um, they're at a Christian school and the chairs have to come up every, every Sunday. So at the end of worship, people are stacking chairs, you get a little dolly and take them to the back. I understand you don't have to do that, which is, uh, which is, uh, which is a nice thing. Uh, I want to commend you all on uh, adhering to the COVID protocol that, uh, that we have to go through, uh, as annoying as it is. Uh, I've heard from a lot of pastors that's become a real challenge uh, in fact, the uh, living branch where we attend, we had a family that was just absolutely indignant about it. You know, we should trust God. We should talk, trust God's providence, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, to the point that they were shouting at the pastor before worship or after worship, brought a complaint, uh, ready to bring complaint against the Presbyterian over this policy. And uh, anyway, you, just, you hate to see these kind of things. Uh, I can't help but comment on something. We received word recently that a longtime member at our former church, Grace Presbyterian. Uh, Janet Peoples was her name, mother of uh, John Peoples, pastor and Presbyterian. Uh, Janet Peoples passed away, and um, I remember being at a birthday celebration for several years ago, her 100th birthday. So she's either 103 or 104, I forget which it was. But I was thinking the other day, she actually lived through this, what was called the Spanish flu of 1918, 1919, come through this. So if you want to argue about vaccines, she went through a vaccine in 1918, and now she's dead. What does that tell you? But No, no, no. (laughs) In all the guest preaching that I've done at different churches, I've always had to make uh, this point. Uh, I I, I always hate to, but uh, just so you're all not on edge, but that that you're aware of something. Uh, About 20 years ago, I found that I was uh, suffering from what is called vertigo, know there's a lot of people who've gone through that, and I've had lots of conversation with people, but uh, the only reason I point it out is from time to time, very often it comes on me, I have no idea, everything starts to spin, and if it happens, I'll just fall down, and that'll probably be the end of my sermon, but uh, <laughs> don't don't put a do not resuscitate code or anything on me like that, I've, 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 it's never happened while I've been preaching, so we'll, well but... Uh, Fall be ready to pinch hit and go in, warm up in the bullpen just in case that happens. I want to say a word about Josh. Um, I've really gotten to know Josh uh, over the last uh, six, seven months, I guess it is. We've been serving together on a presbytery committee that has been extremely time-consuming, and uh, I'm one of what is called the, the teaching elders who are involved, and when I was asked to be on it, I said, "I will agree, but I will not be the chairman." you find someone else to be the chairman of this, and that has been Josh, and he's put in an amazing amount of time. I um, appreciated you getting to know Josh through that, and we've had a lot of conversations about it. Um, one thing I do notice about Josh, we're most, we were having our meetings by Zoom. We had about eight people all together on the committee. We'd have these Zoom meetings. Uh, typically, they'd be a Wednesday night, and they'd start around 7.30 or something like that, and we would meet. And uh, the one thing I, I just got such a kick out of, where, where Josh was involved, you always hear about people have different clocks. Some people are morning persons and everything. Josh is an evening person and 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, he's as fresh as a daisy and he's ready to keep talking. And you see the other people are like, please, <laughs> please let's go home. And, uh, but anyway, Josh just did an amazing job with that. And uh, we appreciate the church being uh, willing to kind of Land him to us for that, because I know that was uh, took a lot of of time. Anyway, let's uh, look at God's Word. We're going to be looking this morning at uh, Ephesians chapter three, verses fourteen through nineteen, which is a prayer of the apostle Paul. Some years ago, there was the uh, acrostic WWJD: What Would Jesus Do? I, I, I commend this one. Uh, WDPP, what did Paul pray? You get very good spiritual uh, undertaking, and Examine the prayers of the Apostle Paul. Um, they crop up several of them we find in his uh, epistles. We're looking this morning at chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. Let's hear God's word. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Join me, please, in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you for that great love that you have shown to us, that you exhibited by dying for us. And that love we will enjoy and rejoice in for all eternity. And help us to know more of your love this day. We pray in your name. Amen. Who among us has not heard, if not learned by heart, the words of this old song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Some of the youngest children know that song. But the most mature saint, while he or she can say, Jesus loves me, this I know, will readily admit that he does not know that wonderful truth as well as he could know it in this life and certainly does not know it as well as he will in the life to come. David martloyd Lloyd-Jones, I'll reference him several times. He was a British preacher who preached in the 1940s through 80s, I guess it was. But he made this observation. Indeed, our chief defect as Christians is that we fail to realize Christ's love to us. Now, I'm going to repeat that, but I, I, I point out this is a startling observation. Our chief defect as Christians is that we fail to realize Christ's love to us. Well, wait a minute. We teach our children to sing that Jesus loves them. We proclaim to people of all ages that he does, but we're centered on Jesus. We're sent by Jesus. We proclaim Jesus loves you. But yet our defect, as he points out, is indeed that we fail to realize to comprehend, to really understand how great that love is. So we need to take to heart this prayer of the apostle, that we would have, verses 18 and 19, strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. By the way, Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, It was called an expository preacher, and he was preaching through Ephesians. He preached 16 sermons on the passage that I just read, 16 messages on this particular text. But in one of them, he made the following observation. He said, I confess freely that I do not recall in my preaching ministry having dealt with anything in the Scripture where I've been so conscious of my own inadequacy and inability as with this particular passage. You see what he's getting at? To really know the love of Christ. He's kind of, I, I just, I, looking at my inadequacy and my inability. But he went on to say, I, I regard it as a great privilege just to hold these truths before you and to beseech you to look at them and to ponder them. By the way, I mentioned uh, the benefit of looking at the prayers of the Apostle Paul. Let me commend a couple of books to you. Uh, One is a uh, seminary professor, by the way, D.A. Carson, has written a book called A Call to Spiritual Reformation. A Call to Spiritual Reformation, and it's just a study of Paul's prayers that we find in his epistles. Uh, An earlier saint, uh, A.W. Pink, has uh, a book called Gleanings from Paul. Again, the same thing. But John Bunyan, who you may recognize, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, has a book on just verses 18 and 19. It's called all love's excelling, and I'll reference that. But the greater challenge for all of us is not just to have a, a, a sense of what Paul is praying for here, but to have, as he puts it, strength to comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ. Think of the story of a little boy who was at a part of a tour of a candy factory and accidentally fell into a vat of chocolate And he uttered this prayer, God, make my capacity equal to this opportunity. Let's make that our prayer. Have capacity equal to the opportunity to understand this better. Well, as I mentioned, this is a prayer of the Apostle Paul, and Paul prays for results. Verse 14 begins, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, And then note verse 16 begins with the word that. And I would point out that three times in verses 16 and 17, we find that word that. It's the Greek word ena, which means that or so that. As a result, or the, uh, the idea is that because this, the following might happen, but this is what he prays. That, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, Verse seventeen: So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that or so that, in order that, being rooted and grounded in love, you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth, length, and height, and depth, etc. Paul was a man of prayer. He begins this prayer saying, "For this reason, I bow my knees." Says the idea of kneeling, which may not strike us as unusual, but. Uh, in ancient days, it was not customary for Jews to kneel in prayer. The customary posture was to stand. Kneeling indicated an extraordinary event. So we read in 1 Kings of Samuel, kneeling when the uh, temple was dedicated. Or in Acts chapter 20, we read of Paul when he bids farewell to the Ephesian elders, knelt with them and prayed. So, so this is something important. Paul talks about kneeling, bowing my knees before well, who does he pray to? Great Spirit? May the force be with you? No, he directs it before the Father. Jesus teaches us to pray, of course, our Father who art in heaven. And we're taught consistently in Scripture that our heavenly Father loves to give good gifts to his children. Paul prays before the Father from whom every family on heaven, in heaven and on earth is named. It's interesting, Paul does a little word play here. The Greek term that Paul uses for family in verse 15 is closely related to the word for father in verse 14. So we could translate this, I bow my knees before the father from whom the fathered, verse 15 goes on, in heaven and on earth is named. I just point this out because earlier in chapter 2, Paul had taught that believers from a Gentile background had equality before God, with those from a Jewish background. Well, here I think he's telling us that every fathered saint is equal, those in heaven and on earth, which means if you trust Christ, you can approach the throne of grace with boldness because you're a member of God's family, which includes both the residents of heaven and the redeemed here on earth. So we... Ask certain things of that God who loves to give good gifts to his children. Verse 16 talks about according to the riches of his glory. God gives not sparingly, but according to riches. Philippians 4.19, May My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. So when we pray to the Father through Christ. We expect great things and that God will do great things according to his riches. Um, Paul prays that we be, verse 16 goes on, strengthened with power. The word for power is dunamis, from which we get our word dynamite. But Paul prays for us to have power that we might be strengthened to know certain things about Christ. Before I move on, I just make this comment. Paul was known for his boldness in prayer, and we should be bold knowing that we kneel before the Father who loves to give things, good gifts to us. Uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer, was known for his boldness in prayer. There was a time in 1540 when a great friend of his by the name of Meconius was sick. In fact, he was expected to die. He actually sent Luther a farewell note expecting that he would die. And Luther sent back this very Luther-esque reply. I command thee in the name of God to live because I still have need of thee in the work of reforming the church. The Lord will never permit me to hear that thou art dead but will permit thee to survive me. Don't die. I order you not to. Well, guess what? Maconius recovered. And in fact, he lived six more years and died shortly after Martin Luther did. We are bold as we kneel before the Father. Well, again, Paul's prayer is that Christians would be, as it puts it in verse 16, strengthened with power, verse 17 continues, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth, length, height, and depth and to know the love of Christ. In short, Paul prays that we would be strengthened with power, so that we might have, verse 18, strength to comprehend the love of Christ. Now here we encounter a bit of a paradox, because what if Paul goes on to tell us in verse 19? It's the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So how can we have, first of all, how can we have strength to comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ when Paul goes on to tell us in verse 19 that that love of Christ surpasses knowledge. Let me break this down. The word comprehend in verse 18 had the idea of grasp or seize or take by force. Let me give you a couple of scriptural examples. We find it in the Gospels, Mark 9, 18, for an unclean spirit that seizes a young boy and throws him to the ground. Or it appears in Gospel of John, chapter eight, of the woman who is caught in adultery. The great scholar Thayer said the word "comprehend" meant to receive fully, and here I think it's the idea of receiving as fully as we possibly can. Um, understand as much as we possibly can. what is it? Be? been referred to as the four-dimensional manner in which Paul speaks about the love of Christ, what the length, the breadth, and length, and height, and depth of the love of Christ. We'll spend a moment on this language here. Over the centuries, Christians have waxed eloquently on the breadth, and length, and height, and depth of the love of Christ. Think of the breadth, first of all. God's love for his people is so broad that it includes all nations. Revelation 5, we find the heavenly host singing this song to the Lamb, Revelation 5.10. By your blood, you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. I was reading recently of uh, some missionaries that went to what used to be called the Belgian Congo. I think it's now Zaire or whatever, but they were in the late 1800s that they were there. And they went to the people, and someone said, no white person has ever come and spoken to us and told us that God loves us. If we had known that God loves us, we would have been praising him all this time. The love of Christ is not limited to any nation, any group, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The length of the love of Christ, God's love for his people, is so long as eternity past and as long as eternity future. In Ephesians 1.4, Paul told us that God chose us for salvation before the foundation of the world. And he tells us in Ephesians 1.14 that we have the Holy Spirit as the guarantee of our inheritance until we take possession of it. When will we take possession of it? When we're with the Lord in heaven, and that will be forever. The great preacher Alexander McLaren said, The length of the love of Christ is the length of eternity and outmeasures all human sin. Lloyd-Jones noted, this length is an unbroken line. Whatever may happen, it goes on. It is a constant. It does not suddenly cease and then start again. Or the height of the love of Christ. Think of Christ lifted up on the cross for us. John three fourteen and 15, Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Paul tells us that we have been raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. How's that for length? And then the depth of the love of Christ. There is no depth of sin which the blood of Christ cannot reach down and cleanse. One of my favorite verses, First John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. A.W. Tozer put it this way, because God is self-existent, his love had no beginning. Because he is eternal, his love can have no end. Because he is infinite, it has no limit. Because he is immense, his love is an incomprehensibly vast, bottomless, shoreless sea. But let's go back to that word, comprehend the idea of receiving it as much as we fully can. A.W. Pink put it this way, since the love of Christ is so transcendent and mysterious, so infinite and incomprehensible, how can it be comprehended and known by us? He goes on, completely and perfectly, it cannot be, yet truly and satisfyingly, it may be. Repeat that. How, How can we really understand the infinite, incomprehensible love of Christ? Completely and perfectly, it cannot be, but truly and satisfyingly, it may be. See what he's getting at. We can truly and satisfyingly comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ. So with childlike comprehension, Our children can sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. But years later, someone can say, I understand that love in a way I never really did before. D.A. Carson in the book I mentioned uh, when he discusses this particular prayer of Paul in chapter 3 recalls a time when he was uh, 10 years old, was very ill. In fact, he almost died. He spent several weeks in the hospital, was then released, And he continued his convalescence at home over several months. He writes the following. One afternoon, I awoke from sleep to find my mother sitting beside my bed, quietly crying. As only a 10-year-old could, I blurted out to her, Why, Mom, you do love me. He says, Of course, that finished her off, and she rushed from the room crying. But as I think about that afternoon, I understand a little better why I spoke as I did. If you had asked me the day before whether or not my parents loved me, I would have answered without hesitation that they did. But this illness gave me an opportunity to witness my mother's tears, and that gave me cause to reflect. So instead of just delivering the party line, of course my parents love me, I self-consciously analyzed what was going on, and I articulated my conclusion. If the result was neither well put nor well timed, the reflection was right and good and marked a step in growing up. Well, part of our growing up is to have that deeper, that satisfying comprehension that God truly loves us. That love has been shown in Christ I think of something which John, who is referred to frequently as the apostle of love, something that John wrote, 1 John 4, 16. And so we have come to know and believe, or some translations have, rely on the love that God has for us. J.I. Packer, in his classic uh, Knowing God, I hope it's still a classic. I hope still people are reading it. But anyway, knowing God, he has a chapter on the love of God. And he wrote the following The love of the God who is spirit is no fitful, fluctuating thing as the love of people is, nor is it the mere impotent longing for things that may never be. It is rather, All right, here's, it gets complex. What is the love of God? A spontaneous determination of God's whole being in an attitude of benevolence, an attitude freely chosen and firmly fixed. Uh, There's an English theologian for you, all right? It's a spontaneous determination of God's whole being in an attitude of benevolence. It is an attitude freely chosen and firmly fixed. See what he's getting at there. Freely chosen there is nothing in us that causes god to love us we like to think we're lovable and we may be lovable to other people but not from the perspective of a holy god psalm 115 his soul hates the wicked what reason could god have to love us uh I retired at the end of October 2018. We've had all sorts of changes in our lives since then, not just retirement, we bought a new house. Uh, my father passed away. We've gone through all sorts of changes, but one of the uh, very pleasant changes that we went through is in uh, the spring of 2019, we got a new dog. We got a golden retriever. started looking around. I found a breeder down in the Louisville, Kentucky area that we were interested. And uh, she contacted us at one point. I mean, you have to go through an application. We're on a waiting list. We thought we weren't going to be able to get one. And then there was health problems for someone that was promised a puppy. And, and so I get an email one day, are you still interested in one of our little little girls? And I said, well, sure. And she said, well, you got to come down and meet me. You know, I'm going to see if you pass musters. So we had to go down. And we went down to this home of this woman. And uh, there were eight puppies all together. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of work to be involved. To have a dog, you have a lot of responsibilities. But let me tell you, when you go down to the basement and you see eight little puppies, and you hold one, sit it on your knee, there's not a whole lot of chance you're gonna decide, no, I don't really want one. I could pull out my phone, we could hook it up, and I could show you the 30 or 40 pictures I took that day of all these little puppies. But one that really gets me is just when we're leaving, I turned around. They're all in a cage, these little eight puppies, and they're all looking at us, seeming to say, Pick me, take me. I was a dead duck. We were going to get a dog. There was very little doubt about it at that point, and we did. It became rosy. We're not the cute ones looking at God saying, Choose me. We don't even want chosen. We don't even want redeemed. We don't even want saved. But it is an attitude, as Packer puts it, freely chosen. God says, Hosea 14.4, I will love them freely. The great American theologian Charles Hodge once described God's love this way, the most mysterious of all God's attributes. Well, It shouldn't be mysterious. It's repeated throughout Scripture that God loves us. What he means is, the mystery is, there's no logical reason for God to love and redeem sinners by sending his beloved son to become sin for them and to die for them. But that is exactly what he has done. Deuteronomy 7. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love upon you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. He loves us. And we praise him for that. He loves us, and it is an attitude that is firmly Fixed. Consider Psalm 106. It gets a little monotonous, but 26 times in that one psalm alone, we find this assertion His steadfast love endures forever. Well, don't wear it out, right? No, no, no. Wear it out. Keep repeating it. His steadfast love endures forever. I mentioned earlier Bunyan's work on verses 18, all loves excelling. Bunyan notes that we will not fully comprehend the love of Christ until we reach heaven. But, he says, until that time, every believer can say, quote, Come, behold, the works of the Lord toward me. He has set forth a Savior against sin, a heaven against hell, light against darkness, and the breadth and length and depth and height of the grace that is in himself for my good against all the power and strength of every enemy. Well, Paul continues his prayer this way in verse 19. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Some translations have that surpasses understanding. By the way, I think it's somewhere Mark Twain, he talks about attending a uh, meeting of a legislature somewhere And someone arose and trying to follow proper decorum. We need to remember this, Paul, when we're at Presbyterian, things get dicey and we're debating things and whatnot. But he said, my my opponent's logic is like the love of Christ. It surpasses understanding. Well, that was a good way to get a dig in there, but that's what Paul's getting at. The love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Again, how can we know that which surpasses knowledge? Lloyd-Jones, in one of his 16 sermons, on this passage, as uh, has a sermon on verse 19 entitled, Knowing the Unknowable. How do we know the unknowable? Well, the love of Christ surpasses knowledge, meaning our human capacity by itself to know and understand this great truth. It must be revealed by the Spirit of God. The love of Christ surpasses human knowledge, human capacity to understand. But through the Spirit, we can know the love of Christ. And, as first John puts it, we can know and rely on the love God has for us. Phil Yancey, the Christian writer, speaks about how he felt for many years that he had missed out on something very important in life. He would hear people talk about the love of God being like the love which a father has for a child. Understandable, we find this analogy used throughout scripture. God is a heavenly Father who loves to give good gifts to his children. But Yancey's father had died of polio when Yancey was just a baby. So when people are saying it's like the love of a father, he's like, I don't understand that. He missed out on his father's love, or so he thought. But years later, he came across a picture of himself as an infant, which his mother had kept over the years. And he saw this. It was all wrinkled and torn. He couldn't understand it. He knew his mother had pictures of him at that stage in his life in much better condition. So he asked, you know, Mom, what, why would you even keep this particular picture in such bad shape it is? She then told him that was the very picture which she had wedged into his father's iron lung so that he could look upon his son. And he had spent his dying months gazing upon that particular picture of his son, praying for him, thinking of him, loving him, which led Yancey to write, someone I have no memory of, spent all day, every day, thinking of me and loving me as well as he could. And when he thought about that picture, and when he knew that, he had a much better comprehension of the love his father had for him 1 John 4 again this time verse 9 in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world Paul prays that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge it is incredible incomprehensible we can say to think that Christ has eternally had us in his mind Undertaking from eternity, the responsibility to be the mediator of the covenant, to satisfy the demands of the law, to pay the penalty which our lawbreaking merited, and to come to earth to purchase our redemption. Bunyan suggested that we can really, only love, know the love of Christ when we consider what he has done for us. And he mentioned several things. He has reconciled everyone. Of the elect, he gave his life as a ransom for many. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He has become Lord of all for them, and he references Ephesians one twenty two. Christ is head over all things for the church. Bundy notes Christ has occupied heaven for his own. Jesus says in John fourteen, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. That where I am you may be also. D.A. Carson, in that wonderful chapter that I've been referencing here, tells a story about friends uh, who were involved for many years in foster care. Wonderful program, by the way. One of our sons and his family were involved in foster care. But anyway, one particular day, these friends of D.A. Carson were asked to take in twin 18-month-old boys. Well, they agreed the very first night, after the boys were put to bed, these foster parents kept their ears tuned, being relatively certain in their assumption that the first night in a new home might be difficult. So they were listening and listening, but not a peep came from the bedroom. But this was a little strain. So after a while, the husband tiptoed down the hallway, peeked into the bedroom, and he found both boys wide awake, alert, but their pillows were absolutely soaked with tears. But they hadn't heard either twin cry because they hadn't cried aloud. And these foster parents later discovered that these boys had previously been in foster homes where they had been beaten if they had cried aloud. This was their ninth foster home, 18 month old. So basically they had taught themselves to cry silently. It has been said the most tragic word in the English language is the word unloved. Well, these little boys somehow at 18 months were convinced they were unloved. These foster parents had to teach them that they could be loved and that they were loved. We often struggle to believe that Christ really loves us enough to shed his blood for us, and that God really loves us enough to send his son for us. We want to, as First John puts it, know and rely on the love that God has for us, but doubts creep in. Can he really love us? My wife and I are blessed. We have 15 grandchildren. I always say last count, because I never know what happened overnight. No, but if you get 15, that's a, that's a lot of grandkids. But several years ago, we went on a little family hike out of Turkey Run State Park, western part of the state, going through that. And we had a good portion of the family that was involved there. And one who was in attendance was our little grandson, Reed. I think Reed was four or five at the time. And he was constantly being enjoined by his parents. You know, don't get in that puddle. You know, he had to cross streams. And be careful, go from this rock to this rock, because if your feet get soaked, this is a long hike and it's going to be miserable if you have wet feet. So he did a pretty good job until at one point I heard a splash and realized that he had submitted his uh, shoes to baptism by complete immersion, and uh, he was rather miserable over the fact that he had to continue the hike with these soaking wet feet. Well, at one point we took a little break in our hike, and we ended up at the turkey run in, and there's restroom facilities, most importantly, so we went in. Well, at the time, I think, in our gathering, so someone in the boys' room, someone in the girls' room. So I had my wife, uh, one daughter, two daughters-in-law, eight granddaughters, I think. They go in the ladies' room. There's me, my son, and Reed. So obviously, we're done a lot quicker. And as we're waiting for the ladies, uh, we're sitting on a bench, uh, out in this little hallway. And I said, Reed, let's take your shoes off. Maybe they'll dry off. And he said, yeah, but my, my socks are still wet. And I said, well, let's take your socks off and your feet will dry off. But my socks are still wet. Give me your socks. So I go to the men's room. You know the air blowers that you have by the sink? So I put a sock on each hand, start punching these two air blowers here. I'm not recommending this if any of you are, are college students. You know, if you don't have a dryer, don't do this. But uh, in about 10 minutes, these things were nice and warm and dry and crispy. And I take them back out, and I go, okay, Reed, your shoes are pretty well dried out. Your feet are dried out. Now you've got, you got dry socks. We put them on. He was most grateful. Short time after that, my wife made a comment to him. She said, well, Reed, Now you know Pops really loves you. If you ever doubt that he loves you, just remember the socks. And Reed looked and said, I would never doubt that. Well, you say that at four or five. but When he's 16 or 18, you know, who knows? He may have doubts. He may do things that disappoint me, or who knows what may come. We do sometimes doubt that God loves us, and it's not over wet socks. It's over our sin, what we have done. Bunyan suggested this reason, that the love of Christ surpasses knowledge. He said, this love of Christ must be beyond our knowledge because we cannot possibly know the utmost of our sin. So I know that God loves the unworthy, but I really cannot possibly know the extent to which I am unworthy. So in a sense, I won't really know the love of Christ fully until I get to heaven. Yes, yes. But still, Paul wants us to know and to comprehend that we are loved. So as I wind down, I want you to consider something that Jesus said. It's found in John 15, 9, where Jesus said, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. It's a comparison there. As the Father has loved me, so, or in the same way, the same manner, have I loved you. Let's think of that for a moment. The Father has loved the Son from all eternity. Will he ever stop? No, he will love the Son for all eternity. And that beloved Son of God says to us, John 15, 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Christ has loved us. He will love us as the Father has loved him. So when doubts creep in, you worry about your sin, remember the love of Christ. And remember that song you learned, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Well, this great passage in the Bible tells us so. So let it speak to your hearts. Bunyan observed that when Satan throws our sins at us, pricking our consciences, screaming how unworthy we are of the love of Christ, Bunyan said, take up the words of the text against him. Christ loves with a love that surpasses knowledge. Satan, though I cannot think that God does love me, yet I will not yield to thee, for God can do more than I even think that he can. Let us pray. Lord, indeed, it is our prayer that we would, through your Spirit, have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving us, for dying for us. Thank you for your Spirit that constantly brings to our minds the reminder that you do love us, and we thank you for your Word. May we be rooted and grounded in love that we may have that strength to comprehend that love. We thank you, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's stand as we respond and sing together.